right, let's pray before we get started, all right? Father, we are uh, just grateful to be able to gather here tonight. Um, it's been a busy day for all of us. Um, God, thanks for the opportunity just to breathe for a minute and to, uh, to be in your presence. Uh, thank you for these men and the testimony of their lives, the demonstration of the faith in their life and, and the way that they are uh, taking the gospel with them wherever they go every day. Uh, I pray as we talk tonight that you would encourage them, that you would fill them uh, with vision, inspiration for making disciples. Uh, God, give them helpful tools. Uh, use them out there uh, for your glory, for your honor. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start where we normally start, and that is with the Shema, so stand with me. And uh, we'll say it together. Ready, <laughs> set, go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll do it in Hebrew, same way. One, two, three. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahata, Adonai Eloheinu. Amen. Have a seat. Getting better. They got through line two. Then they got a little twisty on you. Yes, I'll get you. I'll get you a file for for that. Uh, I'll get the troll a low guy to do it. If you don't know, you don't know. So. Um, all right, so let's just back up for a minute and talk about where we've uh, been. And let me recast uh, vision. The entire reason we are gathering here for these 12 weeks is so that you can become a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. In other words, you become a multiplier, a fruit-bearing instrument for the kingdom out there every day. This is not just uh, uh, my job. This is the job of every disciple of Jesus, no matter where your feet take you every day. This is, this is the call. This is the mission. And so we want to make disciples who make disciples. We're, it's interesting today because we're going to talk about chair three. It's chapter seven. If you haven't had a chance to read, you can... Sort of thumb through it as we're uh, as we're going through it tonight, um, but it is the place where a lot of Christians get stuck, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, tonight. So the idea is that we would just walk like Jesus walks, right? So he made disciples as he was going. He invested in people. You've learned these things. Chair one. Do you remember? I'm going to get scoot over here. Chair one. Come and see, right? What are you inviting people to? Anybody just shout it out. What are you inviting people to when you say come and see? To Jesus Christ. Okay. To Jesus experience through your life, right? A relationship with you, a demonstration of the gospel, an authentic love for them uh, that they experience. And then uh, they hopefully you share the gospel with them using words. It doesn't happen through osmosis. This is one of the myths of the church in the 21st century America. If I'm just Jesus-like around Mark, eventually he'll receive Christ. It's not going to work. You have to use words to share the gospel. And I believe that Grant taught or retaught you the gospel presentation. Uh, we have that out here on the table if you need it. If you need a refresher, just pick one up on the way out today. Uh, hopefully they come to a place where they repent and they believe and they're ready to move to chair two. Uh, and you are inviting them now to follow you. Uh, so you're investing them, investing in them, investing time in them. And we talked about, last week we talked about the green book and the blue book. So what do you do when you ask them to come follow me? Well, we've got to teach them the basics of the faith. And we agreed last week, like half the room, Nobody ever sat down with and, and, and went through, like, here is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to walk. Come on in. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of seats. Uh, Mark is lonely up here. So lonely. But he could come all the way up. Um, so uh, you use the green book and the blue book, 
all right? So you're just inviting them to have coffee, have lunch over a period of time. You go through the green book, you finish that, you go through the blue book. It's pretty, pretty simple. I wish, you know, early on uh, that everybody had that kind of experience where a disciple of Jesus simply sat down and said, here's the truth of the gospel and here's how to walk it out. Here's how you should pray. Here's how you should read the scripture. You should be a part of a group, be a part of community, all that. So uh, you, we said you are the new believers class, right? Uh, you're, the, you're inviting them to come see Jesus and you are teaching them what a believer uh, looks like, is like, sounds like, walks like, all, all that. And then today we come to uh, chair three, which is follow me and I will make you uh, fishers of men. All right, and so this is where we're uh, we're going to pick up uh, today. So, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? So, I'm going to remind you. Jesus, we get the verse out of Matthew four nineteen. Come follow me. Jesus said, "I will make you fishers of men." So, when we hear that, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He uh, is reaching out to uh, who, the guys that would be his disciples. They are also fishermen. So he's using an, al- an analogy that they can understand. So they go out fishing every day. They fish for sardines. They fish for tilapia. They do shallow water, kind of wading with a cast net. They go out on a boat with a same uh, net. And so they, they, he, he's just calling them to do something that they already know but with people, right? And then he's going to spend three years showing them how to do that. Right? So this is a this is a big investment. That is the investment we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. And so to do that, I want to look at this passage of scripture. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, um, we're going to be in here in the in the Bible a lot tonight, just in a big group, and then we'll break up uh, and toward toward the end. But here's what I want you to see. So this, this third chair uh, is the place, it's called the worker chair, right? So it's the place most people get stuck, right? So think about it, think about this for just a second. So um, let's say that I, I received Christ and I got involved in the church. And if you're at this church, pretty soon you're doing kid men. Right? <laughs> How many of you have been involved in Kidman here? I want to see. Like, yeah, we're good at that. Uh, and you're a worker, right? Instantly, you're you're a worker in the kingdom. Or uh, you know, maybe that Kidman's not your thing. Maybe you're you're into something else. But a lot of times, what happens is you come to Christ, you miss the relational discipleship experience, and you might get it sort of uh, in church as you go along. By the time you're in enough Sunday school classes, enough, you know, uh, worship service, you kind of get Jesus, and then you're a worker. You're, you're, you're plugged in. That's not what this chair is. But that's how we think about it a lot of times as a church. This chair is a worker in the kingdom, a worker in the field. Now, here's what I want you to realize. Where is the field? out there. The field is out there. In here, we do equipping. We gather, we worship God. We do, you know, Hebrews 10, 25. Uh, we have community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Out there is the field. And who goes out there every day? You do. I'm in here. You go out there every day. You go out there every day, right? And so, uh, this chair, we're going to pick up right here to begin to understand it. Matthew chapter 9, 35 uh, and following. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So in Galilee, he's going to every little town with his synagogue, and he's preaching, teaching, and healing people. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to think about your field for a minute. Wherever you go every day, imagine the people that are here around all the time. Uh, Do you ever look at them and have compassion on them? 
Like, wow. Do you, do you see how they could be like sheep without a shepherd? Right? They're lost. You see it most of the time when they, something crazy goes on in their life and they don't know where to turn, what to do. That kind of thing. Jesus has this view of the, the people around him. Then he said to his disciples, so these are the, the ones that he's investing in closely, the harvest is plentiful. He's like, look around. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, the workers. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, workers, into the harvest. Now, this is, he's praying for what we're calling the third chair. Disciples who would become laborers to reap a harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and another translation that says Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, right? So these are, these are normal guys. Um, you've got a couple guys from the Orthodox area, some very like religious Jews. You've got Simon the Canaanian, it says here, the Zealot. He is uh, like terroristic in his passion for the, the law with a name like, uh, with a name like that. Uh, they're not the upper crust, although you do have one tax collector and everybody just views a tax collector as a sinner, right? So these are the least of these, right? These are not uh, who you would think Jesus would pick to sort of take over the, the world, so to speak. So here's what he does. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So give them a very clear mission, right? We're going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. Partially because this is prophetic. They're supposed to. This is what God laid out for them. But also, they are... Israel, so to speak. They know the language. They know the culture. They know all of it. They get it. And he's sending them first uh, there. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire nor, nor go, no, no gold, nor silver, no, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborers deserve his food. Do you hear what he's calling them over and over and over again? Workers, laborers, workers, workers, workers. So the picture is this. Jesus has spent time now training his disciples. He's invited them to come and see. They drop their nets. They follow him. They move to chair two. He begins to teach them. Now they're to chair three, the worker chair, and he's doing what? pushing them out into the field. So we have a, we have a process here uh, we use on our, our staff like to, to really, it's probably something you guys do too. Like if I want Chris to learn how to um, hire somebody or fire somebody, uh, some kind of you know, thing like that that you have to do that so, sometimes is not natural. I may, I might say, okay, Chris, I want you to uh, come with me. I want you to just watch what I do, and then we'll talk. Okay, so we do an interview. Chris just watches what I do. What questions does he ask? Uh, what is he looking for? Uh, what is his posture like with people? Where does he lean in? What is he eye contact? No eye contact. All that. Just watch what I do. Then we'll talk. Then we talk. Then I say this. Okay. Uh, and the next time, uh, I want you to ask these questions. I'm going to ask these questions. You ask these questions. We'll kind of do it together. And, uh, and so Chris, and then we'll talk. And so Chris and I sort of do this together if we're interviewing somebody to hire, let's say. We do the interview together. We go back and we, we talk. And then I say, okay, Chris, this next time, why don't you do the whole interview? I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to watch what you do, and then we'll talk. Right? And then last time... Why don't, Chris, why don't you do this one on your own and then tell me what you think? 
Do you see the progression? So you're you're demonstrating, hey, here's the questions I want you to ask. Here's what I want you to do. So Jesus has already done that. They've seen him teaching, preaching. They've seen him healing the sick, casting out demons. He has now given them authority to do it. In chair three, what is he doing? He's pushing them out into the field in this passage of uh, Scripture. And this is chair three. It's the, it's the worker chair. So um, let's pick up at verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you, deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How are you to speak, or what are you to say, for... What you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Just trust me, is what he's saying. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated uh, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be uh, saved. And he continues on all through this passage. Showing them, here's how I want you to go into the field. And here's what's going to happen to you. But he sends them out. Instructing them, go uh, among uh, the, the house of, the, of Israel. Right? So this is chair, chair three. Uh, the, the worker chair. This is when let's, you, you have a disciple. And now you're beginning to send them out to fish. To work the field. Um, this takes uh, coaching, for lack of a, a better word, right? So you, you've already you've led them to Christ. They've gotten involved in a church, either our, our church or uh, uh, another church that's close to them, but they have a community, but you're continuing to meet with them. And, uh, but you, you don't let them go just because they received Christ, just because they joined a church. Now you're continuing to meet with them because you want to help them uh, work in the field together. Right, so now Chris, I mean, let's say, let's continue this Chris and I dialogue. Now Chris and I are meeting, but we're talking about hey, who are the two people that God is putting on your heart? Your heart. That's what we've been doing every week in our, our tribal groups, right? Who are the two people that God have been putting on your heart? Now, when we meet this week, you, you, you pray and you you make an intentional effort to share the gospel with both of them. The next week we'll come back together, we'll talk about it. Because you've already, at this point, he's already seen me share the gospel. He, he, he knows what that looks like. He knows what the gospel is. He knows what it's like to uh, decide, be discipled in chair one and two. Now he's in, now the chair three is beginning to invite someone to come and see. Okay, come and see and follow me. You're just putting him back on the same path you've been on with him, and you're asking him to do what you've done with him. Right? It should be simple, so he should know. Okay, I know how to share the, the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, and I got that. I got that conversation. I can have that conversation. I know what to do. The green book and the blue book, uh, but you send them out, right? So, where do you go every day? You go Dallas, San Antonio, all over. But you basically work with the same people wherever you are. Ish. So you go to your place and you look and you pray uh, and, and come back and let's talk about how you share the gospel. And then let's get them to the green book and the, the, the blue book. I haven't let go of Chris at all in that whole process. Right? Now, for Jesus um, to get to chair four with his guys takes three years. So this is one of the things we have to understand is that the investment that we're making in somebody, we're, we've, we've committed now, we're going to invest in a few. There's no way you can do that with a thousand people, right? You're going to invest in a few, the people that God puts in your heart, that he leads you to, that he gives you the opportunity to share the gospel with. You're going to stay with them. Okay, so here's the problem with staying with them. Uh, we're busy, and we move a lot. That's the problem. In first century Galilee, you're not going to move typically. You know, 
you're gonna you're gonna hang out, you're gonna finish the process, all that. There's nothing, it's nothing. You're not as busy. It's different. Here we're busy, we we move. And so what I'm asking you to do when I when I when I invite you to consider helping someone to to get to chair three and eventually move to chair four, what I'm asking you for is a as a lengthy relationship with a person or two. So that they can multiply, so that you can see the fruit of that. Um, it just takes time. It's going to take some some time. So I'm going to ask a question. I just want you to raise your hand. Uh, chair one, chair two, chair three. All right, chair three being the worker chair. How many feel like you sit today in the worker chair? It's usually most people uh, in, a, in a group like this. They get to the worker chair, and then that's as far as it goes because most people haven't multiplied uh, in our culture and context. In other words, they got there, and they might, you know, in your life, if you were to, if we were to survey, like, in your life, who have you led to Christ? Who have you discipled? How have they multiplied? And we started asking all those kinds of questions in your life. Most people in 21st century America get stuck in chair three right? because they typically don't multiply. So I'm doing a lot of research right now for a sermon on Sunday, which is out of uh, 1 Timothy. But it, 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 it stems from one scripture that says, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am foremost. And it's all about like, us joining the mission. So I'm just doing research on lostness in the world. Like, what are the what are the modern demographics and you know the statistics related to lostness in the world? What is the fastest growing religion? All the, all the, that kind of stuff. And uh, the fastest growing religion in the world today is no religion at all. It's uh, none. It's 25 percent of the the global population. Is no religion. It's growing faster than any any other uh, any other religion that that populous group. The United States of America. It is also growing uh, very fast. Um, and if you track the sort of nuns phenomenon, what you're going to find is that uh, in the early 2000s you were you know like 10 percent, and then now you're at like 26 percent uh, nuns in even Bible Belt cities. So uh, what we know is part of the reason, there's lots of reasons for that. You can't nail it down to just one reason. But part of, part of this is, part of the discussion out there is, well, the church, the people in the church, we don't multiply. Right? Um, and we've stopped doing what Jesus did, right? So... Of the nuns, when you begin to survey the nuns, what you find out, like one out of five of them are de-churched. You know, they, they say, I had this, church was stupid, or I had this bad experience with, you know, somebody at church, or whatever. So they're, they're de-churched, right? Among the millennials, which is the, young, the generation younger than uh, me, uh, nuns is the, the, the phenomenon is skyrocketing right? which means that even in households uh, multiplication isn't taking place because they're born into sort of Christian households but they're going out as nuns right? so even a parent to child uh, it's, you know it's, multiplication isn't taking place and so one of the, and Dan uh, Spader would say this, the same thing, is that most people get stuck in chair, most people get stuck in chair three. And where I have to own it, where we have to own it as pastors, what we said, hey, bring them to us. We're the professionals. We didn't say it this way, but this is how it comes across. Bring them to us. We're the professionals. We'll disciple them. We'll put them in rows like this. We'll see how many people we can get in a room. And uh, we'll do it that way. And you, the disciple of Jesus, you, uh, you gave away your mission, your calling in life, right? Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States did this for the sake of church growth, right? So the, the scorecard changed. It was no longer multiplication over generations, but it was 
how many can I get in one room, you know, in a 10-year time frame or something like that. So here's what I want you to hear. You're pro probably many of you are in chair three or two or, or one. Probably not many of you in chair four. Uh, that's okay, but we need to realize this tonight. Uh, and the way to realize that is just simply ask yourself, uh, who over my lifetime have I led to Christ and discipled them in such a way that they are also leading other people to Christ and discipling them? And that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. But this is what Jesus did. So we, you know what we're realizing in the church of Jesus Christ today? Uh, in order for gospel saturation to take place, here's, here's a novel idea. All of you math and like stats people, you would have been like, yeah, 20 years ago. Uh, we cannot, just let's just take the 4B area, 500,000 people. No matter how many megachurches we have in the 4B area, we will not penetrate the lostness of the 4B area unless the people in those churches multiply out there. Because if we're just growing what we can fit inside buildings, then we're just going to grow by addition. And what that's going to mean, because not everybody's going to come to the buildings, and less and less and less are coming inside the buildings, because the nuns population is growing for lots of different reasons, uh, that we're going to we have flatlined, not as a church, but as a as a the church in the in the West. We have flatlined. The church in Western Europe is on a huge downward trajectory, like this. Uh, the uh, and this is the, the the trajectory that America is headed for, right? If we continue to approach it like. How many? So what we're all doing is going, we need to go back to the Jesus way. That would probably be smart. Because look at what he did. Now, where we're learning that from, you know where we're learning that from? It's humbling. Because we go be missionaries other places and we see them doing it. I got one little book, you know, that some campus crusade guy, you know, gave them and they're just wheeling through it with groups of five here and three there and two there and, you know, over here, and you're doing, it, you're doing 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 it. That's how the kingdom expands. Right? Pretty awesome. As men, I think it gives us our, uh, if you'll let me say this, our cajones back as Christ followers. Because to sit like this, and well, who wants to do that? Well, that's feminized. To not punch holes in the darkness, to just sit and soak? Who wants to do that? No, we don't. We're all wired. We are all wired to be in the battle, to be in the game. That's what we're wired for. And this is how Jesus started that momentum. Is, uh, the, the movement is he, he invested in a few, and then he sent them out. And, and this is where we come to, in this passage of Scripture, he's sending them out to do Guess what? The things that he was doing. What they had seen him do. He gave them the authority to do it. I'll just remind you of the other time I hear Jesus say authority. And Jesus came, came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teach them to do what I do. And do it my way. But I give you the authority. He put the Holy Spirit inside of you to do it. So, uh, chair three then is, uh, is where we get stuck. So here, here's what I want you to do. After hearing all that, I just want you to turn to the person to the right or your left. I don't, I don't care who. But I just want you to talk about where you are. It, it's, this is not a brag moment. This is a... Uh, but let's be real for a minute. What chair am I in? Am I in one? Am I in two? Am I stuck in three? Am I ready to four? Am I multiplying all that? Wherever you are, it's okay. But I want you to identify where you are, what seat you're sitting in before we, uh, before we move forward. So I'm going to give you about 10 minutes just to talk with your neighbor to the right or the left. We'll get in our tribe 
groups at the end, but just right where you are. Just try to try to uh, communicate where what chair you're sitting in.
women don't think we can, but we can. Hey, don't tell them, all right? Don't tell them. You don't tell them. If they listen to the podcast, they know. Hey, uh, okay, so everybody know what chair they're in or think they're in? Everybody kind of got it? Is it kind of? Good. Okay, so I had what I would call my, uh, my chair three experience. Um, I told you before, there was a man in my life, is a man in my life, named Steve Rhodes. He discipled me from the time I was 15 and ways till now. And uh, he was my youth pastor when I was a teenager. He was the first pastor I served as a youth pastor. Uh, and he is, well, you know, I would call him a pastor to me as I'm a pastor today, even though he's gone, is in business and, and done all kinds of other stuff since, uh, since we served together. Uh, but good godly man disi- has discipled me. Uh, two years I served with him in a little church called uh, Point View Baptist Church in Combine, Texas. Anybody ever heard of Combine, Texas? So it is uh, near Dallas is. Everybody got Dallas? Okay, go southeast of Dallas, out I, uh, 175. Are you tracking with me? Anybody? Uh, to Seagaville. You know where Seagaville is? A big penitentiary, big... Uh, yeah, some of you have been there, I know. Uh, you go past there, there's a little town called Crandall. They have a golf course and a really good place to eat breakfast. That's about it. And then you turn right and you go five miles into the country, you're in Combine. No stoplight, no nothing. One little corner store and a church, Point View Baptist Church. is way podunk. Uh, I, I mean, it was a butt. This was my chair three experience, right? It's, I was way out of my comfort zone because I'm a kid from the suburbs and I ended up in the country, and the country is a, a very different place, if you didn't know. Very different place. If you're not born there, you're from the outside. That's the other thing. That's one thing I learned pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, and it was hard to sort of to bust in and build relationships and all that. I was only there two years, although back then that felt like a long, you know, when you're 21, two years feels like half your life or something like that. It felt like a long time. But it was in that two years that Steve moved led me from follow me to fish for men. And uh, here's, here's how it worked. There were uh, places, uh, he is, uh, he's got a gift for evangelism. He just has that, that gift. Uh, I don't necessarily have that gift, I have that responsibility, that commission, but he's like, hey, you want to accept Jesus? And people are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It never works for me like that. Um, but there was uh, there. He took me to places that I was not comfortable with to share my faith outside of my comfort zone. So there was an area, uh, Trinity River. The Trinity River went right through there, and there was an area we called the Bottoms. And the Bottoms was uh, just a really impoverished section of the community. And uh, I did not look like everybody else. And I wasn't necessarily welcome when I first uh, first showed up. But God opened a door with this one family. Uh, and we began to serve them. And we, got to, we actually led their kids to Christ. And we began to serve the, the family. And it turned out they kind of ran in clans in the bottoms. And so uh, you get to the right clan leader and you're in. That's what I learned. And so it actually helped me in the Middle East later, believe it or not. But I didn't know at the time that it would. But getting to the right clan leader was a big deal. And, uh, and we got to the right guy. His name was Wayne. And he vouched for us. And then we were in. We could go and come. Got to the point where there's uh, one particular night, I remember, uh, I get a phone call. And it's this lady whose kids were ministering to in the youth ministry. And she's like, Frankie's out in the front yard and he's got a gun. I'm like, call the one cop, you know, that we have. <laughs> I'm not a cop. I'm a pastor, a youth pastor and short. I don't have a lot to offer here. But I ended up going. Because, you know why? Because Steve had taught me, like, these are open doors in this place. Like, you go when they need you. So we went. This guy was flying on dope, you know, crack, whatever. Uh, but we got his family away. We got him away from him. We took care of them. We got an opportunity to lead many people to Christ in the, the bottoms. But I, on my own, would have never gone there. But see, 
Steve, he grew up in Pleasant Grove. Do you know where Pleasant Grove is? Dallas, outside of Dallas, South Dallas. He played uh, football uh, at Oklahoma and in the NFL, and he's just really comfortable, really comfortable. And he taught me, like, Jesus is your trump card everywhere you go. Not a, you're always going to go places people are different than you. And you just need to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, no matter where you, no matter where you go. That's funny because that, that little lesson, I told you, it actually, it actually prepared me for work in the Middle East. Well, the first time I went to uh, Tripoli, where we, Chris and I have worked a lot now, uh, I walked down the street, I'm the only white guy to be seen for a long way, and people hate Americans. And I'm walking down the street like, this is bad. This is bad. You know, I was thinking in my head, I thought about Steve, and I thought about the bottom bottoms. I was like, but I got the trump card, right? I got the trump card. It's Jesus. And he used it, opened all kinds of doors. We're serving there uh, now. But if I had never had that experience with Steve, where he went down there with me, he introduced me to people that weren't like me, he taught me to eat their food and sit at their table and all that kind of stuff. I would have never been able to do what I did, got to do later. It's just weird how the Lord uses all that kind of stuff. I remember another time where uh, a man uh, came in, and uh, he had just gotten, his story was he just got out of the jail in Seagoville, and he needed money for a bus ticket. Because we always have those escape prisoner alerts right around there, you know, like, is this one of those guys? And uh, we took him to the bus station, we bought him a ticket, we shared the gospel with him on the way. That guy, a year later, becomes a deacon at that church. You know? And it's just those kind of experiences where I'm walking alongside of him, and I see him share the gospel in ways that I would have never, or I even thought I should, it empowered me for life uh, to know, like, I've seen Jesus work in situations like this before. It's just a different different place, right? And so I don't know if he knew he was working chair three, you know, but what he was doing is like, hey, just, just watch how this works. And then it would push me to do it. Now, you go down there today. I don't have time to get down there. Really? By myself? Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's chair three in a way. So this is the same kind of thing you're doing with people that you're discipling. And then when you get to chair three, you're really, um, well, first let's back up. If you're in chair three and you're stuck, right? You haven't ever like worked the field. You might've worked in here. And then in a way it is working the field, but a lot of times what you're doing is equipping the saints and the D church and the nuns and all those people are out there, right? Where you are every day. I think why God doesn't call everybody to be a pastor and makes most people go be disciples of Jesus out in the world, right? Uh, but if you ha haven't ever uh, had the opportunity, this is, in a way, your chair three experience. Like, you're getting equipped. Here's how to share the gospel. Here's the green book and the blue book. Take the step. You can do it. Uh, you'll have to... Uh, the purpose of tribes is to encourage each other in it because you're going to need each other to push through. Well, here's what I want you to do because you've been super glued to chair three forever. I just want you to rip the skin off getting out of that thing. Like, with everything that you are, get out of that, get out of that chair. Don't be, uh, don't be stuck there. Let me, let me just talk a little bit about it. So, Chair three is not easy. Um, it's sort of uh, easier to, to have a gospel conversation than it is to take someone and shape them in such a way that they can actually go out into the field and begin to work for, for a harvest, right? So it's, uh, it's not easy. I'm going to get uh, some of you guys to read these verses. So if you get Philippians 3.10, just read it loud and proud. Somebody else, Larry, look up Luke 9.23. Um, 
Steve, would you look up Hebrews 10, 38 and 39? Um, anybody want to read that hasn't I hadn't called on already? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Okay, Mark. All right, so let's start with Philippians 3, 10. Who's got that? Okay, go for it, Jeremy. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Okay, so... Chair three isn't easy, but it's our joy. So we're going to, we said at the beginning of this, we're going to walk like Jesus walked. So we're going to know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his what? Sufferings. So I always think about that, that experience in the bottoms in Combine, Texas. Like, I did not want to do that. It uh, caused me to suffer embarrassment because they made fun of me. They, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, but. God used it, right? And used it not just then, but for me later, for other people later, those kinds of things. So it's not easy, but it's our joy. This is sort of becoming a fool for Christ, right? So you're saying, what matters to me is loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as myself more than anything else as a disciple of Jesus, right? Um... Number two, many believers do not make it through chair three. The question is why Luke 9.23 answers the question. What does Luke 9.23 say? Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Okay. Whoever wants, me to, whoever wants to be my disciple is going to have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. The reason people don't make it out of chair three is because, uh, you remember John 15, it's, it's going to be an actually uh, a chair four verse, but it's, um, Jesus says that you would abide in me and I in you and you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, right? So chair four multipliers are bearing much fruit and proving to be my disciple. The reason people get stuck in chair three is they don't really want to take up their cross, deny themselves and follow him because it, it is a it's one thing it's a, receive Christ salvation heaven, come to church believe it's another thing to go out there it's a totally new thing for many people to go out there and it's taking up your cross it's walking like he walks, right? Um, so a lot, of, a lot of believers don't make it through chair three, and we have to, we have to think about that, remember that. Uh, three, it takes time to mature to parenthood. So let's read Hebrews uh, 10, 38, 39. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Okay. Dan uses an, uses an analogy that it says, like, um, chair three is like teenage believers. They can be really zealous, or they can act like a kid really quickly. Chair four is like parenthood, where you've matured to a point that now you're, you're, uh, you're parenting chair threes and chair twos and chair, uh, chair ones. And chair threes are a lot of fun. Uh, but to grow out of it, <clears throat> to grow through to chair four, and to leave chair threes or disciple them is to mature to parenthood. And that takes uh, time. We don't shrink back. We don't say, hey, I'm going to be stuck in chair three. But instead, what we do is we look forward to the time. But we understand it takes time. And this is where I would say a little for, for all of us, hey, relax and enjoy the journey. Okay, so, so I think about the three years with Jesus and his disciples in very picturesque ways because I've walked the very paths they walked over and over and over again every year for 11 years on purpose to teach people what he was teaching them. I'm literally trying to walk as Jesus walked. Like, where's the Jesus path? There's the road, but where's the Jesus path? Because I, I want to walk it where, where he was. And uh, I think they had a blast. 
I think it was hard. I think they suffered. I think they had a lot of fun. You know why? Because every time I have 30 people walking behind me for two weeks, you know who I get really close to in two weeks or 10 days? That Those people become your lifelong partners in the gospel because you have this shared experience two weeks. Imagine three, three years, right? Was it hard, Mark? Was it hard? It was hard. Did you have to do things that you didn't want to do? Yes. Did you have to go to the bathroom in the wilderness? Yes. You know, did you have to sweat like a, you know, a banshee and all that? Yes. Did you jump off a boat into 300 feet of water? Yes. Did you climb the side of the mountain? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. Was it fun? Yes. And this journey that's so important, I think for the, the, the original disciples, it was, um, it was fun. They enjoyed the journey. Can you imagine seeing Jesus cast out demons? Like, that's my rabbi. You know? And then to, for him to say, hey, hey, I'm going to give you authority to do that same thing. Go do it now. That's fun. Um, so I think it was fun. And I, I think, yeah, they, they give their lives for it at the end of the day. But I think the journey is amazing. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want to read Hebrews uh, 12, 1 and 2. Somebody read that for me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. So, let's talk about this for a minute. And actually, you're going to talk about Hebrews. You're going to be in it in your tribe for a little bit. So go ahead and, if you don't have your place there, go ahead and turn there. We just looked at Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, so was he humiliated? Yeah. Did he endure suffering? Yeah. So when we say we're going to walk like he walked, uh, these disciples that we're talking about here, they endured suffering. They were kicked out of the synagogues. They were beaten. They were crucified. Uh, to, to, to walk like uh, Jesus walked. But what I love is verse 1 in the language... It, this is the picture for the language. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So sometimes people sit down in chair three and they sit there and they sit there and they sit there. What I'm saying to you is we've got to move to chair four and we've got to help other people get to chair one, two, three, and then four. Right? So here's the picture. This is a stadium. This is in Asia Minor. Uh, uh, not far from Ephesus. Um, we went to this, I went to this uh, place early this spring, and uh, we sat uh, down here, and this is just one end of the stadium, so it's massive. It's massive. Imagine uh, Olympic-style games. Uh, imagine this thing full of people. So, have you ever been in a stadium full of people? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Loud. Right? So, Paul is always using this uh, Olympic sort of language, this run the race uh, set before you. I've, I've finished the, the, the race. You know, he's, and here, too, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So, what we did is we, we, we got down on the, on the field there, and we thought about the guys that came here before us, like Philip, like John, 
all those guys that came to Asia Minor that, that turned it over for the gospel of Christ. And, and we put those guys in the great cloud of witnesses in our mind, right? Seated here, imagining that this playing field, in the analogy, this playing field is the field that they were working that now it's our responsibility to steward. So now we are the disciples of Jesus living, living life, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, those that have come before us, including Philip and John and those guys. And uh, we used to, to turn, and uh, we had to run. <laughs> this was a long way. Like There were some people I thought, this guy's not going to make it. He did. He made it. They all made it. You know why? Because the rest of us stood in the stands and just like cheered the whole time. He was, yeah, go. You know, that kind of thing. It gets to the end, everybody comes down, hugs, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of it, the guy that was teaching us said, hey, that little picture is what's happening. It's what's happening. You are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. You are running the race now. Paul did, uh, you know, John did, Philip did. They all came to this place. But now it's your, it's now it's your turn. And this, the, the thing, the thing about this, the only reason I share that with you, is that now it's our turn. It's our turn to to go and make disciples. Uh, at all costs, at great personal cost. Right? So the question is, will you rip the super glue off your rear end and move to chair four that we've been, we can start talking about next week? And will you help other people move from chair three to chair four? Because see, there may be 75 or 60 of you here tonight or something like that, but our church, we have 1,100 people. How many of them are multiplying? How many of them are doing the way Jesus did? They think, and we've got to change the scorecard. That's why we're starting right here. They think if they just are in a life group and do kid men every once in a while, that's what they're supposed to do. And Jesus said, go. He sent them out into the field. So you're going to go out of the field, and you're going to get chair one, two, and three people. And when they get to three, you're going to send them out into the field. Watch what I do, then you do it, then let's talk. It's a big deal. This is a big deal. In the United States of America, there's a lot of big deals going on right now, right? Everybody's into the culture slide. What are we going to do? Who are we going to elect? All that kind of stuff. Uh, in four years, if you guys multiply two people each, that's a big deal. And if those two people, in four years from now, they can multiply, that's a really big deal. That is starting a movement right here. That changes the culture. So, and here's the other thing. Let me just mess with you for a minute. Let me just mess with you. I'll send you to your truck. We are not here to change the culture of America as our primary reason for making disciples. Our primary reason for making disciples is to expand the kingdom of God because we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love people like he does. And we just happen to live in America. That's a, that's a shocker for a lot of people that grew up in the South and, and think, you know, we're all... We're about his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Okay. And so I love America. I'm flying a flag at my house right, right now. Got a light on even so that I didn't have to get home in time to take it down. I know the rules. But my primary is the kingdom. We're disciples of Jesus. We're citizens of another country. We're sojourners. All of That's what the scripture says. So I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to multiply like crazy while I'm here. Right? And I don't want you to either. 
because I think you were designed for it. Okay, so we're going to break up into tribes, and we're going to spend the rest of, of the night in uh, tribes. And I did not print these questions, so some of you are going to have to look at it, write it down. If you're going to move out of this room, you're probably going to have to use your brain and try to remember. Here's the main thing. Hebrews 10, 32 to 12, 15. Take a picture. We have phones. It's a great idea. Um, I, want you to, I want you to wrestle with this passage in light of everything we've talked about in your tribe. And, and just ask God, what should the takeaways be? Okay. And then I want you to go to church this Sunday, and I want you to think about how many people right around me are stuck in chair three that are sitting right here in church, and how can you help them move from chair three to four? Is it possible that somebody in your life group needs to go through the green book and the blue book? And you can intentionally move them from two to three and give them a vision uh, or send them out. You can do what I'm doing to you, sending you out with them. Right? <coughs> We're going to wrap this thing up in a few weeks. We're going to talk about how you can invade our whole church to turn them upside down. And we don't even have to have a Wednesday night thing after this. Because you're going to do it. 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 Because you're going to do it.